The subject of today's program doesn't always get its due on the international business stage. That's despite the fact that it's one of the largest countries in the world, top 10 by area and top 15 by population. And it's got a top 15 economy too, with advantages in geographic location and more. Part of that may be due to the country's troubles, border controversies, cartels, and crime, which tend to make bigger headlines than any of the ways it has grown as a business destination. On this episode, we get to know our southern neighbor a little bit better, exploring the diverse business and real estate landscape of Mexico with two experienced players in this market. You have pretty much every automaker in Mexico, and you have a lot of industrial in Mexico from all over the world. So that makes it easy for any company to come to Mexico, to grow into Mexico. That's Federico Martin Del Campo, a managing partner of Walton Street Capital and CEO of its Mexico platform. Walton Street is a privately held firm based in Chicago, but has invested in Mexico for more than two decades. I originally came down for a three-year assignment, but I saw something special in Mexico. I saw growth, I saw opportunity, and you know what, I bet my career on it. And that's Lyman Daniels, the president of CBRE Mexico since 2009. Under Lyman's leadership, CBRE Mexico has been one of the company's fastest growing offices worldwide. Coming up, a trip to Mexico City for a discussion of this evolving nation. A look at everything from tourism to nearshoring, and a primer on how to invest in Mexico from abroad. It's a country that's in the news for a lot of reasons, but economically is on the rise. Mexico. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, and this week we're going to talk about Mexico, and I'm so happy to be back in Mexico. It's been too long, haven't been here in four years, but I'm back and had a great morning today, organized by my friend Lyman Daniels, the president of CBRE Mexico. Lyman, thank you for joining the show. Welcome back to Mexico, Spencer. Thank you, Lyman. And then Federico Martin Del Campo, CEO of Mexico for Walton Street Capital. Federico, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for inviting me. Federico, you've been here for 25 years. So let me just ask a very big question. Why Mexico? So basically, we started investing in Mexico because of personal relationships of the partners in Chicago. And then results were good. There was a lot of uh, curiosity for the market. And we started digging in. And then in 2006, we opened an office in Mexico. We've been investing since 98. The Walton Street Capital was inaugurated in 1994. So it's basically 25 years now. And basically, it's the size of the country, the domestic demand that you have, and the proximity to the U.S. That's huge for most of all of our business, especially industrial and hotels. Mm -hmm. Now, Lyman, how'd you get to Mexico and um, what keeps you going? Well, I was a NAFTA baby. I came down right as NAFTA got approved. Things were moving. There was a lot of things on the horizon. Mexico was changing. I originally came down for a three-year assignment, but I saw something special in Mexico. I saw growth. I saw opportunity. And you know what? I bet my career on it. And it's been a good bet. We've seen growth ever since. But it's no lie. What I said is that after 29 years, right now, we're seeing more movement, more sophistication, more institutionalization of the market than we've seen before. But Lyman, were you a, uh, a native or natural Spanish speaker before you got to Mexico? No. And I think if you ask my wife and kids, which are all Mexicans, they'll tell you very easily that I am not. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friends and colleagues will also agree with you. But I get by and, and uh, I defend myself. 
Great. So, Federico, when people think about Mexico from a real estate perspective, the first asset class that comes to mind is industrial. Why is industrial such a popular asset class here in Mexico? Sure. People talk about industrial today on the eyes of uh, nearshoring, but Mexico has been an industrial powerhouse for a while now. Most of the changes in Mexico came like 30 years ago, more or less, when we started investing in infrastructure. That was huge. Also, the uh, NAFTA trade agreement was signed. And at that point in time, we also had an independent central bank because before it was not an independent central bank. So all of those things made a big difference in Mexico. So today, if you look at Mexico, you have, first of all, the proximity to the U.S. That's the main reason why industrial is important for Mexico. The second one would be the supplier clusters. You have pretty much every automaker in Mexico and you have uh, industrial in Mexico from all over the world. So that makes it easy for any company to come to Mexico or to grow into Mexico. The other thing is obviously the proximity to the U.S. When you talk versus China, for example, just traveling to China or communicating with China, the time horizon and the uh, time to travel, it's a big difference. That's also been important in Mexico. And then Mexico formerly was more a maquiladora type of uh, country, which maquiladora meaning it's only cheap labor, but not very sophisticated labor. So people came to Mexico just because we have cheap and sophisticated labor. Today, people come to Mexico because we have a lower-priced labor, but it's highly qualified. Mexico now has a lot of uh, professionals working that are highly skilled in technology and a lot of engineers, so that's a big difference. And then finally, the cost of real estate and the rents. When you talk about some manufacturing company, they will spend most of their expenses is going to be on labor, but not on rent. So rents in Mexico, that's why the business for us is so good, because they pay us in dollars. They're mostly credit companies. And uh, the rent is an important part of their PNL, but not the most important one. So that makes the real estate industrial sector very attractive for us. So let's stay on the labor thing for a moment here, Lyman. And Lyman, you run a diverse business here in Mexico, um, not just brokerage, but asset management, property management, right down the line. Tell us about how you handle the labor market here in Mexico uh, with respect to CBRE hiring new employees. Well, you have to first unplug yourself from what you expect in the U.S. And that took me a while when I first got here, thinking that you were going to hire and use the same mold or use the same qualifications in the U.S. The, the population in Mexico is much younger. And although they may not have the real estate science experience or did not, now it's growing quite a bit, uh, extremely, extremely willing, extremely energized. And I would say CBRE, we're lucky to have a team like that, but that's not unique to CBRE. That is a part of a Mexican qualification. We actually see people wanting to work, wanting to stay, wanting to go the extra mile. So that willingness to put that in it has been a, a huge part. And so when we're hiring, we identify that, we look for that, and I think a lot of the industry does the same. Federico, let's move beyond industrial now. Let's talk about the broader market. Uh, let's start with hotels. Um, hotels is an area that I think for the average American who's not in the real estate business, that's how they know Mexico. They know Cabo, they know Cancun. Uh, tell us how Walton Street knows hotels in Mexico. So Walton Street has been an investor in hotels in Mexico for over 25 years. One of our first investments was hotels. The main thing that we like about hotels is that you sell to the U.S. population. Again, you're next to the U.S., so we have luxury hotels. That's what we focus on, luxury. And you cater to the U.S. population, so you get uh, dollar revenues, and you have peso costs, which is usually pretty good, not today, because the peso has been extremely strong, so now it's, it's going the other way around. But basically, if you look at today what's happening in hotels in the U.S., because of inflation, costs are going up, and hotels are struggling a lot, and in Mexico, it's completely different. We're getting 
rates in, in as you were mentioning in Cabo and Punta Mita, where you have hotels uh, reaching historic levels of uh, rates, reaching historic levels of occupancy, and uh, of NOI, of course. So you look at the uh, you know NOI or GOP per room, and it's you know the highest we've seen in a long time. You no, know? so uh, I also think it's because the pandemic changed a lot of the culture for travelers. So people now are traveling, I would say, more constantly. You don't have that same spike that you had before over different seasonalities. And uh, that's good because that's stability. And then from an inflation standpoint, you can pretty much adjust your rate on a, on a daily basis. So uh, it's also very, I would say, uh, friendly for inflation. Walton has invested $1.6 billion in hotels, not, not only in Mexico, but generally 30,000 keys, 91 hotels. So we have an asset management team that specializes in hotels. And that's, I think, one of our main uh, advantages in Mexico for hotels. Speaking macro about hotels, the place where it's not inflation adjusted, unfortunately, is labor. Uh, Labor has gotten uh, extremely expensive. How have you found it, Federico? Yeah, labor has been an issue for sure. And also we've had some labor reforms in Mexico that made it more expensive. That has been a challenge for sure. But uh, the only thing is, you know, in our underwriting, our projections and the way we manage hotels, we just get that into the numbers and adjust. But you still have a big difference between the U.S. and Mexico in terms of labor for the hotels. And also, again, because you're paying them in pesos, mm-hmm. it's a peso salary. It usually makes also for a big difference. When you have a devolution, you have a margin expansion. Mm-hmm. You don't suffer with that, which, again, that's not the trend we're looking at today. But over, you know, if you look at the history, there's usually some type of devaluation over time between the Mexican and the U.S. currency. So that's nice hedge. Uh, now, we, we spoke quite a bit uh, or just a little bit about the vacation spots. Uh, we're here in Mexico City. What are you seeing now in terms of traffic to Mexico City, both for the leisure traveler and for the business traveler? Well, we're seeing people come back, obviously. Mexico City has not typically been the leisure destination. It's really a business travel destination. As many people start to travel again for business reasons, Mm -hmm. you're seeing uh, starts of various projects around the city to try to take up some of that demand. It's slow, but it's coming back. It's not where it was on the business travel side pre-pandemic. But the leisure traffic that we have for the rest of the country has increased, is above pre-pandemic levels. Mexico City, it's a thriving city. It is, there's 25 million people here. There are a lot of reasons to come visit the city besides just leisure, and uh, we're seeing a lot of that traffic. The other thing that we're seeing is inflow of population is a lot of nomad workers. We're seeing nomads coming in from the U.S. and other parts of the world and staying for four, six, eight months and doing their work from Mexico for a lot of different reasons. And that has increased demand as well, both hotel and office and retail. Mm-hmm. So uh, Federico, let's, let's stay with Mexico City and let's get to the most complicated issue in real estate today, which is office. The office market is suffering globally. How's it doing here in Mexico? The office market in Mexico was in a very tough spot before the pandemic. So, you know, that doesn't help. There was a lot of oversupply in certain markets and the leasing activity was already going down. And another thing that we're looking at is usually you had in the AAA buildings and the main corridors, the CBD corridors, you would be leasing in dollars. So when you're leasing dollars, that means you can finance in in dollars, of course, no? If you're prudent about how you do things. So those were not uh, good dynamics. So at that point in time, we had an office building that we finished and we sold it. And obviously it was a good decision, but uh, we come from a very difficult spot. 
And today, besides Mexico, is not that deep in terms of office. You have the Reforma Corridor, you have Polanco Lomas, you have Insurgentes, but if you go to the different corridors, you lose interest from the institutional investors. So it's also not a, a very deep or profound market. So uh, today it's suffering, for sure. The best properties and the best assets are always going to hold off better, but definitely the work from home trend and uh, where we were before has definitely affected. It's always cycles, you know, it's life is cycles, real estate is cycles. So uh, there's no construction in office and the space will be absorbed and the best locations will be faring better than the older ones, no? But it's not a booming sector for sure. Where are we from a supply standpoint of new office product here in Mexico City? And what do you tell investors? Well, we tell investors that demand is increasing. You're absolutely right. The construction starts and the projects under construction is probably the lowest point that we've seen in the history of Mexico City development, office development, but it's coming back slowly. There are several projects that are underway and these developers have made the decision and the right decision to continue developing. And you know what? We're seeing some pre-leasing. We're seeing some tenants going to say, you know what? I want to be in that building because that building has a quality and it's in the location that I want to be in. So uh, quality sells, location sells, and the market is on its way back. Mm-hmm. And we're here in the, uh, it's called the Polanco District? We're in the Lomas area, which is next to the Polanco area, but yeah, it's a greater Polanco area, we can call. And this is a newer office district within Mexico City. Right. Uh, so they sort of, not dissimilar to what we're seeing in the United States, we see these districts that we call live, work, play, that we call BBDs, better business districts, rather than being in the traditional CBD, central business district. Is that a similar trend that you're seeing here in Mexico? A little bit. The difference between Mexico is your transportation. Now remember, we're 25 million people here in a fairly limited geographical area. So getting from point A to point B is a little bit difficult. When you talk about getting from one office to another, you usually don't say, well, it's going to be a mile away or two kilometers away. You say, well, that's a 15-minute or a 20-minute or a 40-minute drive. And so live, work, play is here, and it's really something that in certain areas like Polanco, several projects have been very successful because a lot of the younger generation, millennials, say, you know what, I don't want to do that commute. I want to be close to where I can play. I want to be close to where, when I do go into the office, I can get there. So Federico, just walk us through the capital markets issue. How do you invest an American dollar in Mexico? How does that dollar then come back to American investors? Sure. So the... um the first thing I would say is our first fund was funded with uh, U.S. pension funds mainly, no? and uh, obviously it was a dollar fund, and uh, we made most of the investments in, in dollars. It's key not to have a currency mismatch, right, if you have a dollar fund. And fortunately enough, you have a lot of asset classes in Mexico, by the way, the ones that are most in demand today, which is industrial and high-end hotels, which are dollar-denominated, so currency is not an issue there. So the first funds, we raised money from the U.S., and then we basically switched to raising money from the Afores in Mexico. You know, the pension funds in Mexico were able to invest in Mexico. They understand the market very well. And, you know, the Afores have come a long way. When they started investing in real estate, they were learning. And today, it's amazing the amount of knowledge that Afores have uh, for investing in real estate in Mexico. So uh, that's what we've done, basically. Today, it's a good time to raise money in Mexico because everything that's going on in the world is benefiting Mexico, so it's a good time. We've seen a lot of interest from uh, non-Mexican funds, which is not the trend. Usually, you have much more interest from the Mexican funds. But today, I would say in hotels, but mostly in industrial because of the nearshoring, you have a lot of Middle Eastern and uh, Canadian, American pension funds interested in Mexico. So that's a good thing today. 
The other thing is you don't have a lot of institutional investors in Mexico because institutional real estate investing in Mexico is pretty new. It's also very hard to get into the Mexican market because you don't have a lot of institutional investors. The other thing I would say is it's very important to have a, a local team that you can rely on for the long term. Like if you're going into a new market, you just need to have a local team that you rely on. So these 25 years, our Chicago partners, they know Mexico better than some Mexicans, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So I think that's our main competitive advantage, the local team and the knowledge of the U.S. team. Today, most of our money comes from Mexico, from Mexican pension funds, and uh, that peso, uh, which today we have dollar funds, that dollar just, you know, flows to the U.S. Let's now turn to the debt capital markets in Mexico, because in the U.S., I think a typical investor is looking to get, call it 50 to 60 percent or more loan to value uh, on their deals. But the cost of debt today, I think the central bank in Mexico, Banxico, what do they call it? Banxico? Yeah, Banxico. Banco de Mexico. Bank, Banco de Mexico, thank you. Just raised the short-term rates to about 11 and a quarter. Uh, Long-term rates are, are high as well. So tell me about the capital structure of a typical deal here in Mexico. Sure. That's another interesting advantage in Mexico for dollar-denominated assets. Hotels, for example, what I would say in hotels, the prudent leverage would be around 50%, and you will get loans, if you compare Mexico to the U.S., around 25, maybe 50 basis points higher. And in industrial, the prudent leverage would be around 65% loan-to-value. And there's a lot of activity in Mexico, especially around industrial. Industrial is a very liquid and a very deep market, and it's uh, dollarized, and it's been around for a while, as I mentioned before. You can still get good loans in industrial today in this environment. The most important thing is cap rates in Mexico versus the U.S., you have like a 200 to 300 basis spread difference between the U.S. and Mexico. So you take that, but you put in the leverage that's only 50 basis points higher in Mexico, then you can still get to your ROEs of double digits. Mm -hmm. So the point being is in Mexico today, you get positive leverage under the current rate environment in dollars. Mm -hmm. And in the US, you would have negative leverage. So that's a huge difference in the ROE that you can get in Mexico today. And that's what also makes the country so attractive. Sure. And ROE, just for our listeners, is return on equity. And so let's talk about those cap rates a little bit more specifically. And again, every asset's different. But where are cap rates today for good industrial for where they were, say, a year and a half ago? And where is the cost of that? Cap rates have been compressing over time for the last you know, 10 years. And today, I would say a good industrial portfolio core would be around a 7% cap rate. Development yield on cost would be around 9 to 9.5%. And if you take cap rates in the U.S., I mean, the U.S., again, it's a much deeper market. So it's different if you take the Los Angeles or Chicago, no? Uh, but you would have at least three to 400 basis point difference. Now, in terms of leverage, today you would be getting uh, the base rate plus... 350 basis points, 300 basis points, depending on the asset class and the specifics of the deal. The rates have been going up, the spreads have been going up, and the base rate, but not as much as in the U.S. That's the first thing. And then the cap rates have gone up a little bit in the secondary markets and not the premium markets, but in the main markets, industrial markets, I wouldn't say they have gone down. Lyman has done a lot of transactions lately, but I would say they, they've been stable in a growing rate environment. Got it. An asset class that I think Mexico is far behind Europe, far behind the U.S., but I think may be coming is apartments, is multifamily, is rental. Federico, what's your point of view on multifamily and whether it represents a future opportunity here in Mexico? 
It is definitely a future opportunity in Mexico, but uh, today, if you look at the risk-return equation, mm -hmm. uh, we believe that there are other industries where it's better to put your money to work. The main reason is, number one, multifamily in Mexico is going to be peso-denominative. The U.S. is the lowest cap rate in multifamily, but you have leverage is different in the U.S., and you have the Fannie Mae's, uh, et cetera, you know, different uh, government agencies. And uh, in Mexico, you'd be leveraging 11 and a half plus a spread. Mm -hmm. So uh, today, but even before, and it's a highly operating business. You know? It's not only leasing, but it's leasing and then all the expenses and occupancy and the uh, maintenance. So first of all, what's your margin? You know? uh, people usually make mistakes when they're talking about margins. They think it's easier than it is when you have that type of operating business, what you're getting versus what you're actually getting to your pocket which is the margin, operating margin, you know, it's a big thing. So um, that's the first thing. I think it's more of an unlevered play today and for the short term, for sure. And it's a Mexican peso play. I've seen a lot of people do that, not as much as institutional, but more family offices, that type of thing. And then it becomes a good business because you're unlevered, you're getting a 10, 11% return, which is, yes, the same that you're getting today in the, in the risk-free rate in Mexico. But you have the inflation, which you don't have in a government interest rate. You have the protection with inflation, and you only have the appreciation of the real estate. Because today, in Mexico, apartments are not as expensive as they were before. The housing market is weak today in Mexico. That's how we see it. So I think it's a strong market for unlevered Mexican peso players, mm -hmm. not for dollar-denominated players that are looking for leverage. Let me bring up a difficult issue, an issue that I have to bring up because um, it, it's come up in the U.S. more and more recently, which is the crime issue. Uh, we've seen it in major markets, and it certainly uh, comes up in most conversations about Mexico, so I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. So let's start with you, Lyman. Um, how do you address that with investors? First of all, crime makes great headlines in the States. Mm -hmm. um, if I am trying to sell newspapers, I am going to take whatever story I can, amplify it, and I am going to give you a great story. Uh, that's not to say that there's not a problem and there are pockets of problems. Is it an institutionalized problem where I am afraid to go out at night and go to dinner with my wife? No. I live in one of the largest cities in the world, and I don't have a problem going out and having dinner. Uh, I don't have a problem going and traveling to another city. There are, just like other places, uh, there are cities, there are neighborhoods, there are areas that, you know what, you want to be a little bit more careful. The crime, remember, is not just random crime. The crime that we have experienced in Mexico has been um, what I call crime on crime. This is various entities fighting each other and not going and doing random acts of violence. So when you have tourists come down and say, oh my God, this is a scary place to be, no. If you're selling drugs, if you're buying drugs, if you're in the drug trade, yes, it's a scary place to be, I would imagine. But if you're doing business in Mexico, just like everybody else is coming down, it's a great place to be. And there are a lot of safe places to do that. I agree with Lyman. It's cartel related, basically. And what I could tell you when you have the unfortunate event that, you know, there is some violence in a resort market in Mexico, if you get a tribal advisory, it, it's a huge hit in the hotels because you lose group business and you lose group business, then you have to go to your clients and reduce rates. So that's not a good thing. But it's uh, in the industrial markets, for example, when you have the violence, it's cartel related and it doesn't really affect the industrial market. It affects mostly retail, entertainment, that type of market. But the other thing that I think it's important is right now, uh, because it's a reality, but it's also a reality that it's focalized, as Lyman was saying, 
but also today, the investors and entrepreneurs and basically the business owners, they were taking a step on doing something. Let me give you an example. In Cabo, when there was violence in Cabo, then all the hotel owners and most of the business owners got together and there were changes both in the police force, there was money put in for construction of a new naval base in that area, and there were a lot of changes and now it's controlled. No? And uh, so that's a big difference. So when you bring money also from the private sector along with the government, and you say, what, we need to defend this because this is our way of living, it goes a long way. And that's what we are seeing today, the business owners getting together with the government and saying, how can we control this? And that we've seen happening with great results in the resort markets. That's the other trend that we're looking at that is good for Mexico. Obviously, it's much better not to have any violence, but if there's violence, as long as you can control it within your resort areas, by the way that I'm saying, you know, collaborating between the private sector and the uh, government, you go a long way. Let's bring up another issue about the environment, uh, water, clean air. Those are increasingly, enormously important issues, not just in the U.S., but I would argue being led by our European friends and investors who are insisting on all of their investments to be some measure of ESG compliant, compliant with the Paris Climate Accord. How do you see this issue? Uh, it's both. ESG is alive and well in Mexico. A lot of companies, investors like Federico and his group and others are embracing ESG, and that's helping. It's lots of drops in the bucket. Mexico City, for many, many years, did not have many restrictions on pollution and contamination, on water supply, et cetera. But gradually, it has adopted processes, has adopted laws. It's morphed into being more responsible. It's embraced mass transit. Years ago, when I first got to Mexico, leaded fuel was sold. It's been a long time since leaded fuel was sold in Mexico. There are controls. They monitor the air quality. When air quality gets to a certain level in our major cities like Mexico City, there's alert, and they restrict the amount of vehicles that can circulate at any time. There is a consciousness of a need to protect our environment. There's a consciousness of a demand by the, the population for ESG-type improvements. Uh, Federico, from an investor standpoint, how do you approach ESG? It's an interesting question because, as Lamin was saying, Mexico, we've come a long way in Mexico. 20 years ago, the laws around the environmental were completely different from what they are today. But uh, we've always been doing things the way an institutional, U.S. institutional investor would do them. We were doing phase one and phase two studies when you didn't require them and remediations and all of that. So from our standpoint, we were always adhering more to the U.S., uh, standard, so that has helped us a lot. And it's also within our culture and our principles. And today you were talking about the European investors putting that at the forefront, but also in Mexico, I can tell you that Mexican pension funds are Afores. They would not invest with anybody that doesn't have a good ESG policy, and they will actually make you a, a, a full study and an analysis of how you comply with the three main pieces of ESG. So that's not only key, but it's, uh, I would say, at the heart of the investors today in Mexico. And it's fortunate because uh, we've come a long way and we need to do it. Mm -hmm. So just a couple more questions. Um, I know Mexico in two ways. Um, as a institutional investor advisor, which is how I know Mexico City, and as a tourist, as I've been to many of these wonderful uh, locations. But there are a lot of places for institutional investors, uh, including Guadalajara, Monterrey. Uh, just very briefly, just give our listeners just a, a playing field of the different markets that are in Mexico and the types of institutional investments you're seeing in them. 
Well, I would start with what is the darling of the investment class of real estate in Mexico, and that's industrial. Industrial, there are 13 major industrial markets. Now think about the overall size of Mexico. It would cover a large fraction of the U.S. It's, it's a large geographic area. And we have 13 major markets and then a handful of other uh, large markets that don't make our top 13 list. And each of those markets have their own characteristics. Along the border, we've seen a huge growth in activity. The industrial market along the border, we have a vacancy rate of close to zero. What's the name of that market, Lyman? Well, uh, there are three. Tijuana, uh, Ciudad Juarez, and Reynosa are the three top cities along the border that are all super competitive. And there's actually, I don't want to say a waiting list, but we have clients begging us to help them place themselves in the market. Mm -hmm. And this is not only users coming from the U.S., but users also coming from overseas. Asia, China specifically, has been one of the prime movers of new business coming into Mexico. Um, so that's the industrial side. Office is mainly Mexico City. It's 92% of the office market is Mexico City. Retail everywhere, obviously. And uh, I think we've, we've covered uh, hospitality, which along the uh, beach resort towns. I'm glad you mentioned China uh, in the sense that um, when we talk about deglobalization, very often people are saying, well, we'll move out of China to someplace else. But China, interestingly, as you mentioned, is one of the big countries that's investing in Mexico. They say, well, if we're going to lose some in China, let's put it in Mexico. More than anything, users are coming to Mexico. The Chinese users are discovering that they can put operations into Mexico using some of their same processes, using their capital, and they're closer to the market. They are closer to the market, their transportation costs are less. Sometimes they're partnering with Mexican or other foreign entities and cooperating and able to enter the U.S. and other markets more easily. So we are seeing a huge impulse of nearshoring, especially in the northeastern part of the country, the Monterrey and Reynosa area. The only, you just mentioned Monterrey because the, you mentioned three markets, Tijuana, Juarez, and Reynosa, but I think Monterrey, the net absorption of Monterrey has tripled in the past three years. It's amazing. And that's even before Tesla. Now Tesla's coming to Monterey. And a lot of the Chinese companies are coming to Monterey. So I would say, uh, I agree with Lyman, you know, Tijuana, Juarez, Reynosa, but also Monterey, I think it's a sweetheart for light manufacturing in Mexico. And then you have the Bajio region, which is more towards the center of the country, uh, which includes Querétaro, that has a lot of aerospace, et cetera. But those are for sure the main areas for industrial in Mexico. So I think the lesson for our listeners, if I could sum up this segment of the conversation, office is largely concentrated in Mexico City. Not completely, Correct. but largely. Yes. Uh, hotels, largely in the resort areas, but there are some interesting hotel opportunities here in Mexico City. And retail is kind of everywhere. And one of the things I would note about retail, which we didn't talk about much on this show today, is how Mexico has evolved from an internet penetration standpoint. Because when I was here four years ago, your internet penetration was half That's of right. what it was in the U.S. It was around 10%. Now it's like 23%. 23% right now. And I think that's a wonderful step because what it's done is and I hate to put it in quite so, such simple terms, it's now separating the haves from the have-nots in retail, which is exactly what's happening in the United States. It's becoming an institutional grade asset class again. Do you agree? Completely agree, and you bring up a very good point. Industrial, we mentioned, is very focused on these areas. Mm -hmm. Hotels, for sure. But retail, we've done a lot of retail in Mexico. We've had 30 to 40 shopping centers, and that's the only asset class that we've had presence in almost every state. Yes, retail is deep. It has the same fundamentals in Mexico City that you can have in Chiapas or, you know, different fundamentals, of course, but I would say the same need, you know, for mostly we do service-oriented retail 
And that has also, interestingly enough, that fared pretty well in the pandemic because it's service oriented. No? So obviously there's been a shakedown in retail, but I think that's a very attractive asset class for sure in Mexico. And that's where you could invest all over the country. Great. So we only have a couple of minutes left. So I'm going to ask both of you for your final thoughts. Uh, Lyman, Mexico today, Mexico five years from now, real estate. What do you tell investors? I mentioned earlier, I bet my career on staying in Mexico. I bet my career on the growth of especially the commercial real estate market in Mexico. My children are now graduating from university. Uh, they came to me and said, Dad, where should I land? I said, guys, you're bicultural, bilingual. Come back to Mexico. And I mean it because there is the same opportunity that I lived through for the last 30 years they're going to have throughout their professional lifetime. Federica, what's your point of view? I think the impact that it's going to have in Mexico is, is huge uh, in terms of its growth and uh, developing the country in general. And then the other thing that I would tell to investors is not only today, but Mexico has had for the past 15 years, very responsible fiscal policies. Mm-hmm. We don't spend a lot of money. We don't leverage too much. That's because we have independent central banks controlling inflation. And our treasury secretaries have also been highly educated and very orthodox. They know we're a developing country. If you look at Mexico before, it was like the huge ups and downs. And today, Mexico, in terms of the economy, is a pretty stable country. I mean, today, you just look at the exchange rate and where we are in terms of debt to GDP ratio, et cetera, compared to the world. I could say today, Mexico would be the best emerging market to invest in for sure. And most of the investors agree because you can see that again in the strength of the exchange rate. So, And in the next five years, it's only getting better. Well, I can't end it better than that. On behalf of the Weekly Take, what a a privilege to be back in Mexico again, Lyman. I'm sorry it took me four years to come back. It will not take me four years again. What a great discussion on the Mexican markets for investors. First, I want to thank my old friend Lyman Daniels, president, CBRE Mexico and Colombia. Lyman, thank you very much. Thank you for coming back, Spencer. Thank you for having me. And Federico Martin Del Campo, the CEO Mexico for Walton Street Capital. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for inviting me. With many thanks again to our guests, or muchas gracias, I should say, we hope you enjoyed our visit to Mexico City. For more, please visit our website, cbre.com slash theweeklytake. We hope you'll share this episode and share your feedback with us using the new Talk to Us feature right there on the landing page. You can send questions, comments, or requests, and perhaps you'll even hear back from us for a follow-up on future episodes. So drop us a line. Tune in next time for the top independent investment advisor with a unique specialty on interest rates, talks real estate, and hedging strategies. It's an important perspective, especially in the market environment of today. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well. Be well.